We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Welcome back to Weird Distractions Podcast, a weekly podcast that rotates between true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, a little bit of this and a little bit of that tries you, and more than likely what the dealership down the road would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. I'm your host, Alex, and this week we are talking true crime. But before we dive into this week's true crime case, I do have a little bit of housekeeping that I need to bring up. So first and foremost, as most of you have seen already, on the social media platforms for the show, Christy has left the show. Uh, It's just me now. So hello, hi, yeah, you're stuck with me (laughs) indefinitely now. But essentially, Christy just didn't have the spare time or the free time really to devote further into the show, which I totally respect and understand. But moving forward, hopefully someday she could come back on as a guest. And as mentioned, you're stuck with me. So I will be solo hosting as some of you've probably already picked up on. And on top of that, I'm hoping to have some great guests on the show, basically other podcasters, maybe some interviews of, you know, people that I find interesting or people that I think the listeners will find interesting. But alas, Christy is no longer with us. I just want to say shout out to Christy. Thank you so much for everything you have done to make this little weird show what it is today. I appreciate you. I love you. You know this. (laughs) Other news that I want to kind of bring up, we have two new shows to the Cultivate network. That is right, two new shows. So welcome to the network Horror House Podcast. Hello, Dom. And a spooky tale. So hello, Christina and MJ. Uh, Some of you might recall Dom from when I did a crossover with him. I think it was back in April. And hopefully I can have the girls from a spooky tales on soon. But welcome to the network. We're so excited to have you. Last but not least, it is time to discuss some needs for distraction. So I'm going to try to do this new segment. Uh, Shout out to Emily for making this suggestion. I feel like also Tom made this suggestion. Shout out to both Emily and Tom. But basically, I want to not only tell you what I need a distraction from, but also I want to hear from the listeners to know what exactly you need a distraction from. Is work stressing you out? Is your partner leaving their laundry everywhere? Or are you just done with 2022? Let me know. Email me. DM me. If you're sending an email, please put the subject line, my need for a distraction, and you can send all emails to weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. Come. My need for a distraction this week is work is hectic, as per usual. Working in healthcare is always a jolly old time. And yes, I am being very sarcastic. So work has just been very, very busy. I'm moving into my new role slash not really sure what's going on, but just kind of taking it day by day. And alas, sometimes doing that is a little bit stressful. So I need a distraction from work and I have a listener distraction and I'm going to read this one from Tom. Tom wrote over on Twitter, my coach, because I have a coach, told me that my job carrying heavy boxes around at work no longer counts as actual exercise and that I have to wake up, drink stupid water and go outside and walk every morning. Also, she told me that we will now be cutting sugar things from my food plan. Who can actually live like this? Tom asked me and then he answered his question, which was nobody. The answer 
is nobody. And Tom, that is a very good reason for needing a distraction. Personally, I try to get outside and walk, but I also know the struggle of getting outside and walking. So for all those out there that are in the same boat as Tom, let's get into this week's distraction. So for this week's true crime case, I decided to take a recommendation from one of our Patreon supporters, Tom, which I didn't realize until right now. This is a very Tom-centric episode, so thank you, Tom, because not only were you our first patron, but you have also been a huge supporter of the show, so I guess I can dedicate this episode to you since I've mentioned you like three times now. But anyways, Tom made this post on his Facebook group for true crime podcasters and listeners. So this post, which was posted back in May of 2022, asked, what case will you guys always listen to when you see a podcast cover it? Along with, what case would you like to see covered more that isn't? Tom posted that he wanted to see today's case covered more. So this episode is, once again, thanks to Tom. Today's episode will focus on the unsolved murder of Kristen O'Connell and how after 37 years, there hasn't been anyone held accountable. Due to coarse language and other adult themes discussed, listener discretion is advised. I will also give a warning that there is a lot of discrepancies amongst resources used for Kristen's case, which I tried to decipher the information most commonly referenced. I highly recommend checking out the resources in today's show notes if you want to further learn about the case for yourself and to learn more about Kristen. Kristen Marie O'Connell was born on January 12, 1965, to parents Michael and Phyllis within the United States, specifically the state of Minnesota. Not only is she a fellow Capricorn, but we're actually birthday buddies. Only difference is that we're born 29 years apart. Reports claim that Kristen also had a brother, Kyle, however, I don't have a lot of information on him. I believe, based on my research, that the O'Connells resided in Burnsville, Minnesota, which is reportedly a suburb of Minneapolis. Visually, Kristen was known to be a tall, Caucasian, slender girl who was described as friendly and known to love life. In an August 18, 1985 Star Tribune article, Kristen was further described by friends and family members to know no fear, often going for walks by herself whenever she wanted. Basically, in summary, she was fearless to those around her. Other reported articles described Kristen as being a fun person with a serious side. In one quote from Kristen's father, Michael, taken from a Democrat and Chronicle article, quote, she was somewhat religious and had put a lot of thought into becoming a nun. She was a beautiful, fun-loving girl. In 1985, when Kristen was approximately 20 years old, she was reportedly getting ready to go to post-secondary school. Specifically, she was enrolled at the University of Wisconsin, where she was planning on majoring in hotel and restaurant management. Prior to going off to school, Kristen would apparently hold a part-time job. This gig was at a stable near Burnsville, where she would take care of the horses there, including her own. Resources claim that Kristen loved horses, so I think it's safe to say that this job sounds like a really good fit. Around the same time, Kristen was reportedly saving up to go on a spring break trip. This spring break trip was to Captiva Island, which is located within Lee County, Florida. Geographically, it's about almost three hours south of Tampa, Florida. Anyways, Kristen saved up her money and ended up going on this trip. This is where she met then 18-year-old James Vermeers. And apologies to the Vermeers family in advance. I'm pretty sure I'm not saying the last name correctly. However, this is what the internet has told me to pronounce it as. So my apologies in advance, but I believe it's Vermeers. 
Let me know if I'm wrong. Regardless, James was reportedly from Ovid, New York, which for reference, Ovid is a village in Seneca County. And for further geographical reference for anyone listening who's a geography buff, and more than likely may be inclined to correct me if I'm wrong, but Ovid is about an hour southwest of Syracuse, New York. According to an article in the Democrat and Chronicle newspaper, James was working in the Captiva Island area as a waiter during spring break. Not sure if he did this previous years or what the story is, as it seems odd to me that an 18-year-old from New York would go all the way down to Florida for presumably a not long-term position. Maybe tips were good, but who knows? I don't really have an answer and don't really have any further details. What I do know, based on the resources I came across, Kristen and James reportedly hit it off as friends from my understanding. They hit it off so well that Kristen reportedly agreed to visit James in Ovid after after their spring break trip. She was really only a 16-hour drive or a five-ish hour flight away from James, so it could be done hypothetically. Kristen's family were aware of James, who reportedly would communicate back and forth with Kristen through letters and telephone calls. And this eventually led to Kristen making the trip to see James at his home in Ovid in August of 1985. So now to break down the trip. Kristen had reportedly left Minneapolis airport to go to Boston alongside her father, Michael, on August 11th of 1985. The two reportedly stayed at her father's friend's house in which they then traveled to Fulton, New York. According to the Uncovered website, Kristen and Michael had dinner together before she is dropped off at the mall in Syracuse. At the mall, Kristen would catch a bus to go to Ovid. However, there are a couple of different conflicting reports, one being that James and his friend, who was 17-year-old David Chamberlain, picked up Kristen in Syracuse, while another claim suggests that Kristen was picked up by James at the Syracuse Hancock International Airport on August 12th. Regardless, Kristen makes it to Ovid, New York. And based on what I gathered in my research, the initial meetup with James kind of started off a little bit rocky. In a direct quote to elaborate on this statement further from the Democrat and Chronicle article from August 18th of 1985, quote, James was dating another girl and planned to tell Kristen about it when she arrived in Ovid. Michael O'Connell said that Kristen had called home after she arrived in Ovid and was pretty upset about the news, which this call was reportedly to Phyllis, Kristen's mother. This call, which some sources claimed happened on August 14th at around 3 p.m., presumably demonstrated that Kristen was upset and wanted to leave Ovid, New York, according to the Uncovered website specifically. Further, that specific resource... Furthering that specific resource, Phyllis may not have necessarily known why Kristen was upset at the time. It kind of seems a little bit uncertain as to maybe whether Phyllis and Michael knew that James was dating someone or if Kristen told them at that time. Regardless, Kristen was upset and Phyllis may or may not have known specifically why she was upset. Nonetheless, Kristen didn't leave and continued on her trip, reportedly staying at James's place. James, for reference, reportedly lived near the Golden Buck restaurant, which is located at 2082 West Seneca Street in Ovid. That information is from the Uncovered website for anybody wondering. All of this brings us to further discuss August 14th and the disappearance and investigation of Kristen. 
Kristen O'Connell. Now, some listening and maybe are aware of the case prior to today's episode know that there are some conflicting reports as to what happened on August 14th. For example, some sources even claim that Kristen's disappearance actually took place on August 13th. However, a majority state August 14th. And what seems to be consistent is that Kristen went for a walk from James's place by herself in the evening hours of August 14th. Some accounts claim that James was having a party this evening at his home, in particular, in which Kristen supposedly left the party and went on this walk without her purse, and she was apparently walking barefoot. Now, before anyone says anything judgmental, first and foremost, I hate wearing shoes, so I totally get why Kristen maybe was walking barefoot. Maybe she planned on walking in grass particularly, who knows, but regardless, no purse, no shoes, left the party. According to the Uncovered website, Kristen was seen by an eyewitness between 11.50pm and 12.10am. This witness claimed that a girl matching Kristen's description was observed walking west on the north shoulder of Country Road 139. Further, a reported green or blue car, which may have been from the 1970s era, was witnessed pulling up next to her at this point in time. Supposedly between midnight and 12.15am, Kristen was seen walking east on the south shoulder of the road. Eerily, two white males were seen pacing around 50 yards behind her. No further eyewitness accounts of Kristen seemed to come up after 12.15 a.m. However, screams were reportedly heard by witnesses between 12.15 and 12.25 a.m. To make this situation even more unsettling, at around 1.15 a.m., males matching the description of the following two creepy men were observed walking east towards the village, being Ovid. These unknown folks reportedly changed directions 15 minutes later, now heading west on County Road 139 on the north side of the road. Hours had passed and Kristen did not return back to James's house. For those listening, you may be wondering, why would Kristen go for a walk by herself in an unknown area? For starters, because she wanted to and we're not going to sit here and victim blame. Secondly, one article by David Shaw from the Finger Lakes Times noted that she may have left James's party to go for a walk as she may have felt uncomfortable at the party. In a direct quote, retired investigator Jeff Arnold has said she was not a drinker and she didn't do drugs and she may have been uncomfortable at the party because drinking was involved and after learning that James had a girlfriend, end quote. Now I know earlier I mentioned that James and Kristen had reportedly hit it off as friends and to be honest, I don't really know if they were potentially, I don't know, maybe pursuing a romantic relationship with one another, regardless that is not what is important here, but I do want to acknowledge that I I have been mentioning that they hit it off as friends and a lot of resources that I came across did mention that, you know, maybe it could have been more or they insinuated that they could have been more regardless. I don't know. I can't answer that. That's not the point of the story. As mentioned, Kristen might have left James's party because she felt uncomfortable. And to be honest, if I was in her position, given the circumstances, given what I know of the case, I probably would have done the same, especially if Kristen did feel uncomfortable and maybe she just wanted some time to herself. I mean, I think everyone benefits from a little bit of alone time. And heck, maybe Kristen was like, you know what, I'm going to go for a walk because as we know from previously, she did that. So, you know, 
I get it. But now Kristen is missing, and apparently at around 1.30 a.m. on August 15th, people from James's party began to look for Kristen. As hours begin passing further, James reportedly reaches out to the police to report Kristen missing on the afternoon of August 15th. By August 16th, the search for Kristen came to a close. Unfortunately, Kristen's lifeless body was found within a cornfield by search party volunteers and fellow police officers. Kristen had been brutally attacked, in which I'm going to use a direct quote by the Uncovered website to elaborate on this statement further. Quote, she was pronounced dead by Seneca County Coroner Michael McLaughlin. Her naked, rain-soaked body was found in an overgrown cornfield less than a quarter mile from where she was staying, the news release said. She had suffered multiple stab wounds to the chest and her throat had been slit. Her blood was alcohol-free and there were no signs of sexual assault. End quote. Based on further research I stumbled upon, Kristen had shown defensive wounds, meaning she had tried to fight off whomever was attacking her. And this basically was kind of it in terms of what was found when Kristen was discovered, or at least what was publicly shared and or considerably what I found online when doing my research for this case. Investigators were basically given an enigma of a case to try and figure it out. Kristen was not a local to the area. She had no known enemies in that area, nor did it appear apparent as to why anyone would want to hurt her. Therefore, an obvious motive seems a little bit hard to try and configure regarding Kristen's homicide. People who were at James's party were reportedly ruled out as suspects. However, a piling list of over 1,700 suspects would be collected as time went on. There would be an anonymous tip on August 23rd of 1985 that to me seems kind of weird. Quoting the Finger Lake Times article regarding this anonymous caller further in a direct quote, another tip involved an anonymous telephone call placed on August 23rd, 1985 to State Trooper D.C. Rayer in Auburn, telling him to look at a green Chevrolet on Main Street in Waterloo. The caller said to open the trunk and they would find what they need to identify the killer. The caller repeated the information, said he was getting out of town because I told him not to, then hung up before he could be identified. People can arrange to listen to the recording of the conversation if they think they can identify the voice which has a slight accent." End quote. Now, I don't know what kind of accent this person has. I've listened to the video of the recording, which I will post on the podcast social media platforms, and you can definitely take a listen for yourself. To me, it sounds kind of like an like a New York Jersey accent, but alas, like I I don't know. If you do listen, let me know what you think. It's definitely a little bit hard to hear in the video I watched, which once again, I'll post the link. But yeah, let me know what you think. What kind of accent is that? But to expand on my statement earlier when I called this kind of anonymous caller weird or this tip weird is because in the recording, the man says, because I told him not to do it. This is followed after the man or the anonymous tipper, you know, calls and says that he's leaving town and that the police should go look in the trunk of this green Chevrolet on Main Street in Waterloo. I find this odd because part of me wants to think that either the caller knows whoever is involved with the murder or they themselves are actually involved with the murder and are trying to make it sound as if they are a bystander or if there's somebody you know, outside of the crime. Meanwhile, they're actually a part of it. And 
Mind you, we could sit here and speculate wildly all day. It's just something that I thought was really weird when I was doing the research that this person specifically said that they were leaving town and they're leaving because they told whomever murdered Kristen not to do it. You know, unless they were there in that moment, why would you say something like that? Or unless this was a premeditated murder, why would you say... Because I told, like, why would you tell someone not to do something unless you know exactly what they're doing when they're doing it or you know in advance? I don't know. Let me know what you think. Once again, I want to hear from everybody listening. Let me know, you know, your thoughts on this anonymous caller. Regardless, based on what I've read, it seems as though police have reportedly interviewed many people regarding Kristen's death, yet no arrests have been made and no names have been officially released. Time seemed to pass and nothing seemed to really transpire with Kristen's murder. There was a glimmer of hope at some point. However, before we get excited there was a snag. Supposedly, the Dutch DNA experts, Richard and Selma Eichelenboom, offered to test Kristen's clothing for skin cell DNA evidence. Before I move on further, once again, apologies if I'm pronouncing anyone's last names wrong. It's not intentional. I'm just trying my best over here. Anyways, here is the snag of this kind of glimmer of hope that we have. So the state health department wouldn't allow the DNA testing to happen because Richard and Selma did not have a New York license or permit to do so. This obviously frustrated many as this technically seems to have been something that really could have helped Kristen's unsolved murder. Personally, I find this snag so silly in my eyes, which once again, I'm not from New York. I'm not not in forensics, I'm not in, you know, policies or anything like that, but it seems so silly to say that, oh, you can't test this DNA because you don't have a permit. Okay, let's get a permit. Let's make this happen. I just wonder if there were any proactive methods attempted in order to get the DNA tested after the fact. I mean, mind you, I don't know. I didn't stumble upon that in my research, so who's to say? But I'm sure that you know, people that knew Kristen, especially her family, more than likely would have been on board. And that's just a projection. Maybe they didn't want Richard and Selma specifically, but once again, it's just awful that the DNA testing couldn't be done. If this doesn't sound bad enough, there was another huge blow to the case in 2009. According to the Uncovered website, officials found out that forensic investigator Gary Veter, who specialized in trace fiber evidence for the New York State Police Forensic Investigation Center, had quote, serious problems in terms of, of evidence he worked on. In a direct quote regarding this situation from the New York State Troopers website, quote, an investigation by New York State in- Inspector General Christine Hammond found that New York City Police Department crime laboratory officials committed serious errors in responding to suspected misconduct by several lab employees in 2002. Hammond is referring to the findings regarding the Queens County District Attorney for Post criminal charges. The Inspector General's report caps a seven-month investigation that began in April 2007 when the New York State Division of Criminal Justice Services asked the Inspector General to look into the allegations of dry labbing at the New York Police Department lab in 2002. Dry labbing is the practice of presenting lab results without actually performing the tests, end quote. I can't speak as to whether or not Gary or anyone working with Gary at the time of Kristen's murder investigation or, you know, the aftermath of everything may have tampered with 
the evidence by any means, shape, or form. However, I did want to bring this up as it was also mentioned on the Uncovered website, which is a really good resource, and I thought it was kind of shocking and a little bit of, okay, what the fuck? It just seems like another blow or potential blow to Kristen's investigation. Now, to kind of summarize this week's case. Tragically, Michael, Kristen's dad, died at age 50 on May 17th of 1993. Based on what I've seen online, Phyllis, Kristen's mother, is still alive and still seeking justice for her daughter. Once again, almost 40 years later after her daughter was brutally murdered. Back in 2021, there was an article published by David Shaw for the Finger Lakes Times, noting that Phyllis was planning on creating a documentary regarding Kristen's case. Within that article, though, it was noted that police were not cooperating. In a direct quote from that article, specifically something Phyllis stated, quote, I've been more than patient, O'Connell said in a written statement. I listened to state police investigators make excuses time and time again about not having the funding to retest physical evidence or travel outside their jurisdiction to question suspects. But now a documentary team offers Kristen's investigation free forensic testing, an entire cold case team, and the state police turn them down without ever informing our family or asking our opinion, she said, questioning why the state police would pass up this incredible opportunity that doesn't cost the state a dime end quote. This to me personally is extremely disheartening. I cannot comment to obviously what the police's responses were and why they turned this down. However, as an outsider looking in, this news is devastating as it seems as though a lot more potential opportunities to solve Kristen's murder are basically being put on the back burner, which I hope that changes sooner rather than later. Because this case is still an open case, I will put contact information in the show notes for anyone who may have any information regarding the murder of Kristen O'Connell. I would highly recommend looking into today's show notes, check out the resources, learn more about the case, because I am a big believer that the more we talk about these kind of cases, the more that we, you know, kind of breathe life back into them and ultimately bring more awareness to them. Not only that, but there is the potential that maybe someone knows something. I mean, somebody has to. And that is this week's Weird Distractions episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, Podchaser, and more. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please consider leaving a rating or review. On Spotify, you can also leave the show a five-star rating as well. This helps get more attention to my little weird show, and you can kind of do the support for free. Another way to support the show for free and make sure you never miss an update is to follow the show along on its social media platforms. You can find the show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you're wanting more weird distractions and maybe want to support the show financially, consider joining one of my two tiers over on Patreon. Both tiers currently get early access, ad-free episodes, and monthly bonus episodes. You can find out more by going to patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast. Shout out to our current Patreon 
patrons, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Sissy, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you and appreciate your support so very much. If you are not able to subscribe for a monthly fee on Patreon, don't worry about it. You can financially support and still get a little something something for yourself over on Redbubble. You can find some of my merch designs available on sweaters, notebooks, t-shirts, and more. Just head on over to Redbubble's website and look up Weird Distractions Podcast. You can also make a one-time donation over on Buy Me A Coffee, which you can find that link in our social media bios. Lastly, I love to hear from listeners. I'm always looking to collect your weird tales of true crime, paranormal encounters, and any other experience that made you think, wow, that was weird. There have been some Listener Distractions episodes already released, and I'd love to keep doing this series. You can email me at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. Make sure to let me know if you want me to use your name or keep you anonymous. You can also email me if there are any corrections that need to be made after today's episode. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye. (laughs) 